Geopolitics and Empire is joined by investigative journalist Kit Klarenberg. He writes for Russia Today, Grey Zone, Covert Action Magazine, and other publications. We'll be talking about the Putin papers, I mean Pandora papers, the fake Facebook whistleblower, and Russia designating Bellingcat and others as foreign agents. Basically, this information war that is kicking into high gear. Thanks for joining the podcast, Kit. How is life on Airstrip One or wherever you may be? Well, I mean, I'm in the former Yugoslavia, but I know things are pretty sweet. Um, There's a distinct lack of uh, coronavirus restrictions, which is always welcome. Um, There's another lockdown, no doubt, coming in my my native country of the UK very soon and vaccine passports. So I'm happy to be uh, closer to the mountains. Um, at this stage. Well, yeah, all right. As what is it, Bruce Dickinson, Iron Maiden, say, run, run, uh, run to the hills. Uh, so, sorry, go Every few years, we keep um, getting these same type of leaks, right, from the same type of organizations targeting the same type of individuals. Mm-hmm. Last time it was. Panama Papers, before that, the Paradise Papers, now it's Pandora Papers, and uh, they're not really that imaginative in their branding. The source of these leaks, in my opinion, are generally Western government intelligence-controlled propaganda outlets like the the Guardian, New York Times, and so on, and they come from NGOs sponsored and funded generally by Western governments and actors like like Soros. Uh, I think a lot of us know the usual suspects. I kind of view this as an extension of the color revolution strategy. They target countries and politicians that are enemies generally of Washington and, and Brussels. Of course, you know, a disclaimer, that's not to say that the people revealed in the Pandora Papers to be committing crimes are not guilty of them. Uh, in your mm-hmm. article, you ask the question if perhaps Pandora is a CIA leak. So please give us your uh, analysis and thoughts on the Pandora Papers. Well, I mean, I think that when these papers when these papers dropped, um, I, I just immediately my mind, you know, jumped back to June, um, and the, there was a White House press conference which was on the on the subject of the fight against corruption. And uh, over the course of proceedings, a, you know, a senior administration official said that the Biden administration was going to place the the, uh, the anti corruption plight at the centre of its foreign policy. Um, and uh, you know, the White House was going to prioritize this work across the board. Um, and then in the, um, over ensuing uh, remarks, which were entirely uh, un- unremarked and unreported on by the, by the uh, mainstream media, he, he stated, oh, or she uh, stated um, that, the, uh, that, that components of the US Intelligence Committee, including the CIA, were going to be key players within this you know, corruption fight. Uh, this would supplement the ongoing U.S. efforts to identify corruption and take appropriate policy responses, uh, which includes um, you know, uh, funding investigative journalists and NGOs such as OCCRP, which they this spokesperson added was jump-started by the U.S. government. And indeed, yes, if you look at OCCRP's list of funders, um, it is an absolute roll call of you know, US and, and well, Western state and quasi-state organizations. There was George Soros um, Open Society Foundations, which he mentioned, the National Endowment for Democracy, which is a, a CIA front, uh, USAID, which is also a CIA front. And then there's Pierre Amidiar's Luminate. You know, Pierre Amidiar seems to be running a kind of global regime change network with all of his media assets. 
Um, there's the Ford Foundation, which used, you know, used, at least used to uh, provably count among among its staff a great many, you know, quote unquote former CIA operatives. There's you know, the UK Foreign Office, um, which is the you know political arm of M- MI6, Britain's Foreign Intelligence Service, and the US State Department. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. And so, you know, it, what kind of picture of the world would you expect to come out of their reporting? Oh, it's one which befits the ideological and financial and political indeed military interests of the government institutions that fund them pretty much so yeah i mean that was my, my mind kind of uh, uh spooled back to to that point which wasn't that long ago and i just thought that, that white house press briefing essentially laid out a blueprint for precisely what has now been released i'm i'm not in, at all surprised by how poor um, the reporting on this has been, you know, it's all this focus on lurid, like, oh, the Czech prime minister who owns dozens of properties and, oh, this this public official somewhere that hoarded all this wealth or, you know, embezzled all these funds. I mean, it's like pretty low, re- you know, low level uh, attention grabbing, but also, you know, you know, not particularly illuminating um, examples of, uh, you know, malfeasance or, or, or criminality by um, government officials, which happens all over the world. I mean, there is a Perhaps predictably, given who funds OCCRP and the and the and the ICIJ, uh, there are virtually no references to Americans um, in, uh, in 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 the papers. Although this this could in part be due to the fact that the US is in itself a you know, massive tax haven, with the states of South Dakota and Delaware um, being yeah internal tax havens very much. So yeah, but then but then equally we know from their from their past you know the you know the Panama the, the much trailed Panama Papers uh, that they uh, that the OCCRP has in the past ignored um or you know failed to to publish information despite it being within their you know, overall document tranche and so i mean the, a key example of this and this is, this is really quite extraordinary uh, you, your listeners may well be familiar with um you know convicted fraudster and pathological liar bill browder who has waged this kind of very cynical war on uh, the russian government ever since he was banned from entering the country uh, on national security grounds him having spent you know the previous kind of decade and a half, uh, you know, post-communism in Russia, um, you know, <laughs> raping and pillaging their economy for his own personal enrichment. Uh, he's now, a, you know, a billionaire, although quite how many, <laughs> how many billions he has is, uh, is anyone's guess. But the, uh, he, you know, he is named, in, you know, central to the Panama Papers uh, was this, this law firm called Mossack Finesca, uh, who essentially offered, you know, wealthy, uh, high net worth clients all manner of kind of tax evasion and avoidance and, you know, uh, 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 services and that sort of thing. And then like, you know, there, there were certain, there were certain Western politicians who were implicated in this, although often, you know, kind of rather, um, Tangentially, so you know, there was like the the UK Prime Minister at the time, David Cameron, was found to have you know profited from a, a Panama-based trust that was established by his very wealthy father. But I mean, it, you know, that's uh, you know that's by the by and is kind of unsurprising. Um, I mean, it's not does not, not doesn't make it okay, of course. But like, you know, I mean, everyone's got their hand in t- the till. But the 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 what was really you know shocking was the fact that you know that Bill Browder is named repeatedly in these documents and you know having used 
the large number of shell companies in Cyprus to insulate himself and his clients from tax on you know, the vast profits he was making in Moscow, and disguised his ownership of you know uh, of lavish properties abroad, which which means that you know he he gave up his U.S. citizenship so he didn't have to pay tax in the U.S. But he also owns a large number of properties in the U.S., such as a giant mansion in Aspen. But the uh, you know, the, the ownership of that is effectively not not fully hidden, but it's certainly more opaque than you know the the the, the uh, he's certainly taken an effort to hide this, but the, yeah, the, the, you know, he Browder has engaged OCCRP and used them in this kind of yeah, this kind of ongoing global crusade against Russia. And but you know, and he cropped up repeatedly in media reporting on uh, the Panama Papers. This kind of your anti-corruption campaigner and blah 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 blah. And then he's named them. And so, you know, it's just, it's, just, it's just really quite extraordinary. And I think that this speaks more generally to, yes, how cynical and very obviously weaponized this stuff is. And so, you know, The Guardian, in its first reports on, on the... Uh, the uh, the uh, sorry the Pandora leaks it featured you know pictures of Vladimir Putin very very prominently and then it had all these bizarre sentences in the result an article saying uh, you know uh, Vladimir Putin isn't uh, you know isn't listed by name in the document i.e. he isn't listed in the document or you know um, surprisingly um, the, the, these documents do not shed light on his on his personal fortune it's just like well I mean there's a large number of people who aren't listed by name in these documents because they're not implicated in them so why are you mentioning this one very specific individual um, yeah it's very 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 bizarre and I mean in terms of the source of this stuff um, I, I think you know given that we have confirmation that this was <laughs> that, you know in june that the cia was going to be deployed at the, to be at the forefront of this corruption i think it's a, it's a, a, a very obvious and entirely legitimate question to ask whether this came from the intelligence services and this is uh you know rather actually ties in with um you know bellingcat who you mentioned and i'm sorry that your your listeners have the immense misfortune of, of knowing <laughs> what bellingcat is and uh, yeah, I, having found yeah. them before getting to Bellingcat, I just wanted to comment. Like you mentioned, Bill Browder, and we have a, a regular guest on the podcast is Alex Craner, who wrote oh, I know him personally. He's he's really good people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote the book on Bill Browder, which was suppressed. And you know, this is one of my biggest beefs, as you're talking about all these papers. Always talk about you know Putin and and Lukashenko. You know, Ukrainian all corrupt officials or oligarchs and Russian and, and Belarus, but never American or or, or Canadian or or. Mm-hmm. Um, European and we have so much information like I think it was just last week reported that uh, officials at the Federal Reserve were involved in, in corruption where they were uh, you mm. know buying certain stocks uh, ahead of what you know kind of like insider trading what you know uh, and then we had Pelosi was reported just a few months ago she was buying stocks before certain laws were going to be passed and then uh, by the Bidens mm. we know how very well corrupt the Bidens are we've got like the laptops and and things like this and you know the last time I had severe censorship on Twitter was last year when we had this whole deal with Trump and Biden and Hunter's laptop uh, and some of these inappropriate things that were coming out and I tried to post a link on Twitter and I was immediately it was the first time it happened to mm. me I was uh, put like on 12 hour uh, suspension and so really? it's just it's just crazy how and you know l- let them post yeah sure let's look at the corruption of of the eastern uh, officials but what we need to also I'm an American I want to hold my own corrupt American officials uh, to account and and that never happens and I just kind of like your final thought regarding the Pandora Papers the purpose of these leaks you kind of alluded to it it's just part of the ongoing hybrid war between West and East you know political war economic war information war mm-hmm. I also think it's a move toward eliminate trying to eliminate offshore secrecy jurisdictions in order to create 
I think, kind of like a supranational, centralized, globalist, global system of taxation for everyone on the planet. The OECD has talked about this, and that would kind of be like creating this global centralized system where no one can uh, escape. Uh, just ultimately, kind of like a final thought on Pandora. What, what, what do you think is the, the purpose there? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think it's interesting. That you, yeah, that you you mentioned you, you very rightly mentioned you know, economic and information warfare being you know, very closely interlinked here because I think one of the really interesting and you see this with Transparency International as well. I mean, that would be another whole podcast. But I mean, they, the, the, the Transparency International, I mean, they obviously do some fantastic work, and which is you know very very interesting and and uh, and useful. But then equally, you know, this is this was founded by the World Bank in order to push neoliberalism, and it counted amongst its kind of founding members and initial kind of high level staff. You know, people with links to the military and intelligence services and that sort of thing. And like they, they, one of the things I find really fascinating about them is that. Yeah, every single year they 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 publish the corruption perception index, which is you know, always gets enormous amounts of media coverage, as well as well as publishing this this index, which usually features countries like Britain and and, and the UK, sorry, Britain and the US, you know, very you know very, very, very high in terms of you know being you know. Uh, uh, free from corruption. Transparency will also kind of very quietly publish supplementary reports where they note that, uh, you know, sometimes countries that perform the best on, on our index are often the very same that enable high levels of, of uh, you know, illicit private sector activity, money laundering and bribery. And it's like, well, they're not a clean country then, are they? And I think that it's very, you know, so their their methodology is inherently flawed. And I think that the the, the focus on purely on public sector corruption uh, which is obviously a thing, and you know it's not ideal. But it, it just, it, it, you know, I think that actually this comes from the perspective of wanting what 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 remains of, you know, uh, public institutions and uh, you know and kind of state um, or, or you know kind of you know nationalized industry to be handed over to uh, the private sector. And you know this was very much what Bill Browder did in the funnily enough in the nineties in Russia was that you know he would by token of investing to uh, he would get on the board of these companies. And would then expose public officials to wrongdoing. But then, you know, the whole purpose of this was in order to kind of try and compel and coerce authorities to privatize them. And his argument would be, well, you know, this would be so much less corrupt if it was run by, you know, by, you know, you know if this was in private hands and blah, 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 blah. But then, you know, what you're effectively doing, you know, in, in that process is that you are turning the profit you are switching the profiteering from, you know, local, um, you know, local officials and politicians and, and authorities to you know private usually western i.e us and british uh <laughs> like um financiers you know that's that's all it achieves and you know but and also your you know the the definitions of public and private are, are quite interesting so it's like you know tax havens are at least theoretically public institutions in that you know anyone the, uh, you know, in theory, could you could utilize them, but they, you know, they're, they're, you know, but they're they're to they're totally they're totally opaque, and they are not. You know, they 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 they're usually not spoken about by these organizations. In the in the Pandora leaks, they specifically say that there are a number of individuals, wealthy individuals, named in these files, who you know we will not be um, publishing articles on because you know they're not public figures, and therefore it's not in the public interest. And, it, and it's just like, well, I mean, that's a, you know, that's a hell of a uh, of a gal, you know. It's it, there's, you're giving yourself an awful lot of leeway to say, oh, well, this person isn't isn't famous um, or infamous, therefore we're not going to cover it. Not going to, not we're not going to co uh, cover anything related to their dodgy dealing. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll include some uh, other links as well uh, on some interesting articles. Uh, Bloomberg's Leonid Bershitsky wrote an article on why Putin's money eludes offshore investigators. Uh, he's he's saying mm. he's suggesting Russian kleptocrats are basically finding ways to keep their stolen wealth uh, within Russia. There's been this, you know, forever fascination, especially by the West, like to find dirt on Putin and They've never, they haven't been, <laughs> I think they haven't found any concrete evidence, you know, of Putin having a stash mm. of money. And as well, um, another uh, American academic, uh, Mark, he's a bit of a Russia hater. Mark Galeotti writes that he doesn't think anyone's really going to care about the Pandora Papers, that it's really not going to do much. And sometimes I wonder, you know, why don't people, governments from the East, you know, Chinese or Russians or whoever, do this same type of leaking of information on on corrupt Western officials. It's kind of interesting. You know, maybe they don't have the, such capabilities or uh, I, I don't know why. Uh, any final thoughts on, on that? I mean, but one, okay, so one thing I find really interesting as well is that, like, the, the, you know, um, in, in, in February, uh, there was footage uh, uh, that was uh, uh, published um, by, I think it was the FSB. It was on Vladimir Ashurkov, who was at the time one of, uh, Navalny's top top aides, and he was on camera speaking to a representative of the British Embassy, which the FSB claimed was an MI6 officer. Um, I mean, at the very least, he was you know, a Foreign Office official. The two are often indivisible, but um, I mean, I'm not sure what the truth is. It was a secret recording of him basically asking Ashurkov asking the Foreign Office official for you know sizable funding for Navalny's anti-corruption efforts, and this got a lot of play in you know the Western media and also on you know RT and of course and uh, that sort of thing. But like one aspect of, of, of the video that a lot of people seem to miss, which I thought was by far the most interesting, was that Ashurkov was saying uh, to the foreign office official that he wanted to put, he wanted the, the word put out to Western financial institutions like HSBC, which is, you know, effectively a criminal organization, or not even effectively, it's just a straight up criminal organization, that, you know, that our anti-corruption campaign doesn't pose a threat to so you know, it's very much like it's it's it, 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 even even people on the ground in these countries, um, you know, such as such as Russia, who you know, came to be interested in exposing corruption. Actually, it is purely in terms of you know their own government, and they they understand that you know that corrupt entities like HSBC or you know Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan might find them a bit threatening, and so you know they want to reassure them that hey, we're not actually a threat to you. This is all a dog and pony show you know this is all you know this is all an act and a facade and then you know the second that we manage you know if and when we manage to get rid of our own leaders then we're going to step aside and we won't cause you any hassle so i mean it's uh, it's just really quite extraordinary i think that yeah the, the, for all the the all you know all we hear about the kind of omniscience and omnipotence of of, of russian intelligence services i mean i don't i, I mean I, I i'm not an expert but i sincerely doubt that they have the level of capabilities and resources that say the nsa and gchq do I mean, the, the combined CIA and NSA budget for 2020 was $85 billion, which is, you know, more than the defense budget of any country apart from China and the U.S.
Yeah, yeah, and I completely forgot about that video clip. Yeah, I remember watching that. Um, so it going on to Bellingcat, you know, that news just broke, I think, yesterday or the day before it was announced that Russia has designated Bellingcat as well as journalists who work for the U.S. state-run Radio Free uh, Europe, Radio Liberty, uh, and U.K. state-run BBC as foreign agents. I think this is completely uh, in line and, and, and fair, as the U.S. has done similar to Russian media. And it's total hypocrisy when, you know, when the U.S. military information infrastructure known as Google YouTube has the audacity to label Chinese, Russian, Iranian, and so on channels ominously as funded by the you know russian government yet bbc mm -hmm. and american channels get a free free pass and many people don't know that you know facebook was seed funded with public money by the pentagon or cia google which owns youtube was seed funded by you know the the mm -hmm. pentagon by the government so it's like a public private enterprise and and now we saw recently with what's going on with the censorship with the biden administration and facebook that facebook and th these social media big tech are censoring at the behest uh, of the White House. And so, and, you know, by the way, I once had the great honor not too long ago of Elliot Higgins himself personally responding to one of my Twitter posts cr critical of Bellingcat. So that was kind of uh, interesting. So you know, what are your thoughts on this, uh, on what's going on with Bellingcat uh, currently? Well, I mean, I think it's like, I mean, I, th I mean, it's, <laughs> it's interesting that you jousted with him. I mean, he used to routinely argue with me on Twitter. And then I think probably because he realized I ended up making like a fool each and every single time um, he, he ended up blocking me. I mean, you know, I, I also have access to uh, foreign office uh, funded assessments of Bellingcat, which conclude that they are discredited due to spreading disinformation. Um, which he's not very happy about and refuses to <laughs> comment on for obvious reasons. It's rather embarrassing for someone who sets himself up as a, you know, kind of uh, intellectual colossus and, um, <laughs> a, you know, uniquely moral arbiter of truth. I think that this is obviously well overdue. I'm, I'm surprised that Bellingcat haven't been subject to this designation before. I can't prove it. Um, you know, the kind, of, the, the kind of smoking gun remains elusive. You know, my take on Bellingcat is that they are effectively, you know, a, a clearinghouse for information, which is provided by the Western Intelligence Services. And indeed, Mark Urban, who is a very kind of spooky character who works for, he's the BBC diplomatic editor who, you know, used to work in military intelligence and is, you know, is, is on first name terms with all manner of like MI6 spies like Pablo Miller, who was the recruiter and handler of um, uh, Sergei Skripal. He has, he is on record as saying that he thinks that the, the information that Bellingcat seemed to serendipitously managed to source, which is incredibly sensitive and revealing, is provided to them by the NSA and GCHQ. Um, you know, I mean, whether it's, you know, <laughs> directly or via some kind of front organization, or maybe they just leave a, a trail of breadcrumbs for, you know, Bellingcat to follow and kind of point them in the right direction. Uh, but I mean, I mean, that I can't prove it's my, you know, working assumption and they're every <laughs> Every single one of their latest uh, uh, release, uh, you know, in quote unquote investigations, just further reinforces that. Um, but my, my my friend Alan McLeod, who is a um, uh, he's a writer from MinPress News and an academic who studies propaganda, has written a series of really fascinating articles on 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 Bellingcat and how you know they have they count among their staff you know a number of former kind of you know military and intelligence um, officers, including someone who spent ten years in a senior position at GCHQ and uh, you know an ex Stasi operative, you know if you can believe it, the, the the U.S. Secret Services, and they're also you know directly funded by the National Endowment for Democracy, which was you know it's interesting is uh, you know the kind of uh, historical amnesia people have about this stuff so you know when the national endowment for democracy was 
uh, kind of launched, it was explicitly intended to serve as a kind of front for the CIA. And I think that one of their key uh, officials has said, uh, said not long you know, after they were instituted that, you know, we do publicly what the CIA used to do covertly. So, you know, we fund opposition groups and you know, civil society initiatives in order to, you know, undermine governments we don't like. And there's a very revealing, um, I think it's in 1991, it's a, uh, a, an article in the Washington Post, uh, which talks about how the, the National Endowment for Democracy is, um, you know, uh, leading leading uh, the charge of spyless coups abroad and, you know, was uh, had helped destabilize and overthrow uh, communist governments or ostensibly communist governments in in uh, Eastern Europe, and um, you know was working to do the same in China. And uh, yeah, I mean, and, but then you know now today, very few people know what NED is. And um, when Russia, I would say, very wisely banned uh, the National Endowment for Democracy, I believe it was 2015, they did so. The, the the Guardian report on this merely took a quote from the organization's website to describe what they did, which was really quite really quite shocking. But yeah, that you know, the, fundamentally, it, for for all of their talk of openness and open source investigations, you know, that they, they are extremely opaque. You know, we 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 only have their word to go to go on in terms of you know who who funds them. They can often be very very sensitive about talking too much about talking too much on uh, the nature of their funders and the kind of organizations with which they're involved. So, I mean, a key example of this is Open Information Partnership, which I, this was a, you know, in theory, it was a um, an, an initiative to teach uh, journalists and civil society organizations and, you know, fact checkers uh, and think tanks in Central and Eastern Europe. It was uh, to, you know, tutor them in open source techniques and, you know, improve their output and create this kind of coalition of organizations who are committed to the truth and honesty and transparency. And this was entirely funded, I mean, uh, this is entirely funded by the Foreign Office and to the tune of, I think it was 10 million pounds over over three years you know bellingcat was what one of the, the key founding partners of this all of, of this organization their about section doesn't make any reference to this anymore but you know at the time it said you know we are a member of of this organization without any discussion of what it was or uh, who funded it etc and it was indeed their involvement in this organization which gave rise to that assessment which was so scaling of bellingcat and i think kind of suggests that the very reason that they're employed and 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 promoted quite prominently is because they can be depended on to spread this information, you know, false claims and that sort of thing under the guise of, you know, objectivity. Um, and I think that as well, I mean, I would imagine that their origins lie in the fact that, you know, in the wake of the, you know, the war on terror, the U- US and British intelligence services, because of the lies, that, the innumerable lies that they told, um, and indeed their, you know, heavy complicity in the torture of um, terror suspects, many of whom were completely innocent, and some of whom were just picked up because they had names similar to suspects, um, <laughs> uh, you know, shockingly. I think that the, you know, they, they were heavily discredited. And this, uh, you know, WikiLeaks was gaining in um, in, in uh, prominence, credibility, and I think that they probably that there was a probably decision made saying, you know, somewhere in some in some smoke filled room or other that hey, let's we should be doing some of this, and it means that we can you know get information which you know was illicitly obtained and we wouldn't otherwise be able to you know pass directly to journalists into the public domain. Yeah, I remember eight, nine, ten years ago when I was teaching uh, at university, one of my dear students was sharing with me. Uh, Bellingcat. And, oh, look at this new, really cool open source, you know, investigation. Mm-hmm. And I didn't pay attention for the first, you know, few days or few weeks. But then when I finally dug into Bellingcat, it came for me, it's quite obvious. I mean, you were just describing it now. And it's quite obvious, obvious that it's a front. I think they work with Atlantic uh, Institute, NATO's 
think tank, um, which this podcast was mentioned in the, the same week uh, in February when our Patreon got taken down. So who knows? Maybe, maybe they'll respond to this uh, uh, discussion, this podcast uh, uh, about them this, this week. Has, so as I mentioned before, this week has been pretty crazy in terms of uh, information warfare. We have the Pandora Papers. Mm. The, we have, uh, you know, the Russia declaring now BBC and, and Radio Free Europe journalists, as well as Bellingcat as foreign agents. And then we had the whole f- Facebook uh, fiasco. In, in my opinion, this Facebook whistleblower operation uh, could be smelled again from my, a million miles uh, away. You know, in in a millisecond. You know, my my gut intuition tells me this is clearly a U.S. government Facebook false flag uh, initiative in order to obtain greater control uh, of the internet. And you know, not only my many are pointing this out on the left and the right that uh, you know how is it that real whistleblowers are always suppressed by the government by social media and Twitter. Yet, you know, Francis Hagan is called in to testify by Congress and opens a Twitter account, gets a verified blue check mark, gets promoted with tens of thousands of followers. Meanwhile, Project Veritas, you know, which for the past week has been having real big pharma, pharmaceutical whistleblowers breaking uh, stories, and they're getting completely banned from social media. They're not getting invited, you know, to testify before Congress. And and you've mm-hmm. just you've written a, you've written an article how the Facebook whistleblower has worked with Facebook's threat intelligence unit alongside. Pentagon CIA and NSA spies. So, you know, what's your view on the whole Facebook uh, whistleblower show? Well, I mean, it's just like, I, I mean, you've just got to wonder whether just at this point, they're just, they're, they're not even bothering to try and hide, you know, the, the, like, uh, they're not even ma- making any effort to, to you know, uh, make their stories believable because it's just, it, 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 it just stank to high heaven from the second I heard about it, and it's like you know. I think that there's a there's a really interesting disparity between um, uh, you know ha- uh, your actual whistleblowers and these fake whistleblowers. So it's like you know, the, the, you know, most people who who actually spill you know information that the government does don't want in the public domain. You know, they end up in prison, they end up exiled, or they end up dead. Um, like you know, almost you know, universally. Whereas then, like then, equally, the, you know, the, and the media usually does a very good job of burying them and you know, smearing them and damaging their reputations and uh, and and also yeah, just censoring and silencing them. Um, but then also the, this kind of trope of the courageous crusading whistleblower who's decided to tell the truth is a very kind of compelling one, and so. You know, they're, they're more than happy to you know, promote these like very obvious frauds as like, you know, um, yeah, these 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 kind of brave, brave, brave people who are, who are acting in the public interest. I mean, I think that her, if you just look at her background, it's really fascinating. So, you know, she she graduated from an elite U.S. university in 2006 and then spends goes you know, straight into Google, which, as you say, its origins lie in you know, an, uh, an attempt to create a global surveillance tool by the CIA and NSA and uh, and the Pentagon. And then, you know, she spends the best part of five years there. And then, um, you know, from there, she she then somewhat implausibly um, co-founds Hinge and then certainly the uh, the the, da- the the dating app and and uh, then um, she serves as chief technical officer and from there uh, I th- she rejoins Google and then she works at a number of other different um, kind of tech firms she joins she joins uh, Facebook and then you know um, suddenly decides that uh, you know oh actually social media is really awful and it's putting children at risk um, and that it poses a threat to democracy. Uh, you know, bearing in mind that people have been warning about this for, you know, a decade about the, the corrosive impact of, 
of Facebook on public debate and people's minds and perceptions and particularly, you know, at risk kind of vulnerable people. Um, it, it just, it, I mean, that in itself is pretty unbelievable that she would suddenly have this vault fast. And then, and, but then, you know, on top of this, considered that everything she said aligns perfectly with the national, you know, national security interests of the US. The US has always, sorry, Washington has for a very long time wanted to have a high degree of control over social media to, you know, to censor people, to surveil them to um yeah but you know just this this kind of this kind of control and you know and prevent information or perspectives that they don't like or want to be suppressed you know keep them out of the public domain um and facebook has actually been you know very much a you know witting collaborator in this anyway and yeah the 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 it, 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 it's just kind of inconceivable to me that if it was the case that that, that you know that, that she'd had seen all of these these it, the, you know, all this evidence of threats of like you know chinese and russian and iranian attempts to weaponize the platform that this wouldn't have been noticed or acted upon by the you know very NSA uh, and CIA and Pentagon operatives with whom she was working in extremely close quarters. So, like as you say, the Threat Intelligence Division is an, you know, is an absolute nest of former spies, quote unquote former, who's led by um, this individual Ben Nimmo, who is I mean, and I ki- I'm not even kidding you, is a is a failed fantasy fiction writer and trombone player who suddenly decided that he wanted to become a, a propagandist for NATO and was involved with Integrity Initiative, which was the secret foreign office operation to spread anti-Russian fake news around the world which is staffed by military intelligence veterans and it's so it's just it, it, you know it, it, it just it is so so suspicious and yeah the idea that these people who have been you know the two senior members of the threat intelligence unit uh, one's a former Pentagon analyst and White House National Security Council intelligence director if you can believe it and um, you know another is a you know former NSA and cyber analyst um and yeah they were the two lead authors of facebook state of Influence operations report which actually effectively said everything that that that, that you know francis haugen came out with so it just it you know it, it it almost sounds like too farcical that anyone would fall for you know the fact that the, the, the fact that I, I you know i am seemingly the only journalist in the entire world who's reported on the contents of her linkedin even and it's like it's funny like you know all of her her other roles include they they always have a kind of very detailed bullet point list of uh you know her achievements and you know and, and her responsibilities and yet facebook is blank it just says product manager and it doesn't state what she's what product she's managing or what she's doing or any of her achievements and yeah and so then she just suddenly goes public and immediately has this you know blue tick verified uh you know media platform and a sit down 60 minute interview um, you know, on you know, on on, on, a, on national U.S. broadcaster. I mean, it's just it just doesn't make any sense, and there's no way that this is an organic kind of you know genuinely uh, you, know, you know kind of uh, you know natural development. I mean, it you know maybe she does have legitimate concerns. I don't know, but she seems to have been very heavily coached. She prevents very slickly. She knows which notes to hit and what type of language to use. Uh, that you know, and speak in this very kind of punchy pithy sensationalist way that the media so you know the media just quotes a verbatim because they don't have to dress it up any further yeah i i i think that just more generally that on the subject of facebook is this uh, uh, you know effective wing of state power i mean one thing that i find really really interesting um and yeah this is uh i've, I've not reported on this yet but it's coming that the facebook funds all manner of uh count they call it counter extremist 
you know, measures. So they, um, there's, there's this one endeavor where in conjunction with the UK Home Office and the US Department of Homeland Security, they, they fund this uh, academic called Charlie Winter. He's a British academic and he explores, you know, how terror groups and, you know, other kind of maybe like QAnon or whatever, like, you know, exploit social networks to perpetuate their message. And his PhD on this subject was funded by Facebook. And then now Facebook also supports his work in the International Center for Counterterrorism, which is a you know, fairly dubious organization, which seemingly only focuses on you know, focuses on causes of terrorism that don't include very obvious ones like, you know, discrimination at home and Western imperialism and military adventurism in the Middle East, uh, which are you know, very, very obvious and like, kind of inarguable causes of, of uh, extremism and terrorism. He heads this uh, platform called X-Track, uh, which is, in, in theory, it kind of produces reports for uh, individuals and researchers and companies working in the countering violent extremism uh, sector uh, and it's it can it, it does this it claims to do this using real-time tracking of Facebook and WhatsApp conversations which seems to suggest that, that Facebook is granting him and indeed this platform sense you know access to privileged sensitive data presumably you know almost undoubtedly without users uh, knowledge or consent um, but what's really interesting is that extract was spun out of this um, uh, of this company called Global Strategy Network. Now, Global Strategy Network is a you know, communications firm, quote unquote, that is um, uh, that is what was founded and, and indeed was run by a, the uh, the MI6's former counter terror chief Richard Barrett. And I've written a bit about him, um, and he he's been his company's been running. Um, uh, information warfare operations in Syria, uh, and uh, and it, it maintains a number of uh, very dubious, quote unquote, social listening and analysis uh, tools, which you know track, you know, much like Xtrack, um, uh, follow, you know. Uh, communications and conversations that are happening on, on your online and on, on platforms like Facebook. Now, um, Richard Barrett is was the head of counterterrorism at MI6 uh, before 9-11 and then until 2004 when he joined the UN. And like, you know, in in that context, he would have been heavily implicated in extraordinary rendition because uh, the, the you know the, the MI6 was the kind of lead agency along with the CIA on that, and were briefed you know days after 9/11 on what was going to happen. Um, and then in I think it was 20 yeah it was 2018, um, uh, the British Parliament's Intelligence and Security Committee found that between 2001 and 2010. Um, uh, the, the 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 UK was implicated in you know hundreds of um, cases of torture, whether that's you know receiving intelligence from people they knew um, <laughs> you know, had been viciously tortured, um, and they were they were MI6 was also implicated in you know the kidnap and rendition of people to torture sites in say Libya and Syria. Um, and, you know, they also sat in on interrogations that were happening in Guantanamo Bay. So God knows what they were, you know, wit witnessing. Um, and the obvious question is whether, you know, he, he was there. Um, and this gets even this gets what, what, this gets even wilder when you consider that um, I'm not sure if she's a staffer or not. She's certainly listed in their um, in their papers. There's a woman called Gabby Vandenberg, who is a uh, she's a Dutch political scientist. Um, who was heavily involved in SCL Group, which was the parent company of Cambridge Analytica. Um, your 
particular readers are probably familiar with what that is and what it did. But she set up after, I think it was within, oh, no, no, sorry, it was a week before Cambridge Analytica was shut down in, in April 2018. She set up a company called Emic which has kind of, it's a kind of uh, successor of Cambridge Analytica, which kind of offers all of this, the, you know, this kind of training in psychological warfare and behavioral modification to um, militaries. And she is, yeah, she is named uh, in, in, in various internal global strategy network files as a key trainer um, you know, for, you know, for the company. Um, and so then we have this incredible situation in which someone tied to a firm that in the, you know, Cambridge Analytica that collapsed uh, you know, in, 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 through scandal related to the fact that it had illicitly uh, harvested um, you know, users, Facebook users' data without the knowledge or consent and had tried to you know, weaponize it, who is now potentially in <laughs> receiving um, uh, face, you know, internal Facebook data anyway. Um, and then using it for information warfare purposes again. Um, it's, it's, it's really quite extraordinary. Yeah, this kind of brings me to my final question that I have for you. And, you know, to kind of summarize things, it seems like the propaganda isn't working anymore. Things are becoming quite obvious. And, you know, we'll be looking forward to this article you'll, you'll be publishing. But it seems like now they're moving to censor uh, outright, you know, as we see as, as the, the result of what the face, Facebook uh, whistleblower show, uh, you know, the, the result that they want is more uh, censorship. And we're seeing now the, the two themes I, I kind of get from this discussion we're having is Western governments, well, I guess all governments are going against their own populations now in terms of uh, total, you know, digital control, you know, getting knocked off of social media, even mm. apps now people, I mean, that kind of segues into that whole social credit system, vaccine passport, which is another discussion where you know, you, people are getting blocked from Uber and Airbnb and can't, uh, no fly lists and, and basically knocked off of social media. And, and then as well as this kind of, uh, you know, getting your thoughts on the new Cold War between Washington, Washington Brussels and, and Moscow, uh, Beijing, this information war, you know, what are your thoughts? Where are we at in this kind of uh, in this new Cold War? Well, I mean, I think it's it's incredible to think about how quickly things, you know, um, uh, how quickly things are developing in this regard. I mean, it is really not very long ago that Western that Western leaders like Barack Obama and David Cameron, were, you know, sucking up to Beijing and like were desperate to get Chinese money and investment. You know, um, and you know, I think that. It, you know, the, the, given that that is, well, that's only, you know, five years ago, that the, I think it's really, it, it, it's incredible how far we've gone from there. I mean, there's already, you know, open kind of trade war, uh, you know, talk, open talk of trying to, you know, supplant or block um, China's, you know, One Belt, One Road initiative. Uh, you know, there's you know, ever increasing levels of espionage and yeah, in, you know, information warfare happening on both sides. I mean, you know, the, the, the UK has effectively banned China, you know, effectively banned China state broadcasting from operating in the UK not long after it set up shop there. It's it, you know, it's coming together very, very, very fast. And I think that it, it, if anything, you know, people getting blocked from. I mean, also just Facebook's outage the other day. You know, um, and people getting blocked from all of these vital services shows that like we need to, to create alternatives to these platforms. 
uh, and we need to start building them up very quickly because, you know, with every successive crisis or scandal, um, uh, and also just due to, you know, fake, what I would call psychological operations like the Facebook whistleblower, you know, it is, we're just getting more and more arguments for surveillance and, you know, uh, and, you know, backdoor, you know, backdoors for intelligence services into private chats. We're getting, um, you know, calls for censorship and banning and all of these things. And it's like, you know, if you, you know, the, the the the, the uh, I saw someone the other day propose that you know a definition of an anti-vaxxer could be someone who's got the vaccine, like you know, but doesn't, but uh, but um, you know, says that people you know shouldn't be forced to get it. Yeah, you know, we in Colorado you know, the, the other day, uh, I believe um, there was a, a case in which um, uh, a, 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 someone on a kidney transplant waiting list received a letter from their hospital saying you're, you're getting taken off the waiting list because um, you're, you've not been vaccinated. And, you know, this is bearing in mind and something else that I wrote about quite recently was a, a kind of a, a, a medical professional tied to Incutel, which is the venture capital arm of the CIA, was specifically calling for people to be deprived of medical care for if they, yeah, refuse to get vaccinated. And stuff. Or, or, so, or like, you have the, the Israelis, the ones that are yeah. uh, three times vaccinated. Uh, now they are unvac- considered uh, unvaccinated because if you don't get the fourth injection in Israel, your digital passport, vaccine passport will not function. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And it's like, you know, it is, you know, I never thought I would, I would say this, but like, you know, it is very much a form of this kind of social credit system. Like, you know, we're, we are, we're, a system is being created where if you don't say the right things and you don't express that you know, ex- express the right opinions and you know don't you know, you know um uh you know or challenge the wrong person or say the wrong thing um you know and, and if you you know refuse to fall into line in all of these other key regards then most spheres of life are going to be cut off from you um and like you know and that's that I, I i i wrote an article recently about the government's proposals for vaccine passports they i mean the uk government's proposals for vaccine passports they're extremely stringent. They will, you know, make life misery for an enormous number of people. Um, if, 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 if they're past, you know, people who, for whatever reason, aren't able to get vaccinated, uh, you know, or have you know, other kind of, um, you know, perfectly legitimate reasons for not wanting to do it. Uh, and, you know, this is, a, this is 100% a precursor to digital IDs. And, you know, there's going to be a checklist of, of you know, <laughs> you know we'll probably write down to your political opinions um you know dictating whether you are you know a good citizen or not and it's really it's really really frightening um <laughs> and i think that it needs to be opposed um by people however um you know however they can um i you know i think that these people are very powerful they're not omnipotent and um yeah, I think that, like I say, we need to start thinking about alternatives, not merely just, you know, to social media, but to so many aspects of, you know, th- things can't be centrally run anymore. We need to make things more local. Uh, and we need, you know, we, you know, in order to insulate ourselves from the long arm of big tech, with the, certainly the security services um, and, and governments, um, you know, both our own and foreign. Yeah, this has been an ongoing discussion on this podcast, and I totally agree. You know, time is running out. Things are accelerating. Um, they're ramping up persecution, right? Censorship. Uh, just the last week, I uploaded on Rumble all 200 plus, I think it's 225 episodes of Geopolitics and Empire. So people can, you know, if, if we mm-hmm. get taken down, when we get taken down on YouTube, we're on, we're like uh, Hydra, right? Um, we're on <laughs> Odyssey, BitChute, Brighton, Rumble now for the videos. And so 
that's what, and as well, I talked about with this popular South African podcaster, uh, Jeremy Nell of Germ Warfare. He was discussing the idea of we need to bulletproof uh, everything, you know, our internet presence. And as well as you say, offline, that's getting very important now with all of these food shortages, supply shortages, and inflation prices, again, getting deep personed, unpersoned in, in the real uh, world, right? In the physical world, some people are, you know, getting their access to their banks, um, you know, losing their access there and that sort of thing. So you're on Twitter at Kit Clarenberg. Uh, is there any other good place to find your work? Or website we should know about um i mean yeah you can always you can always you, i mean i think that like i mean right now i'm i'm you know primarily writing for the rt the cradle which is a, a new uh middle eastern um uh a, a news outlet which is like all original material all like really expert stuff uh which is very much challenges kind of western media reporting on the region which i urge all your readers to check out um and also the gray zone project um which is you know max blumenthal max blumenthal's um uh, led, uh um, organization which is you know again absolutely fantastic and you know given the their small team and limited resources they you know they uh, they make the intercept look like a laughing stock with that you know consistently um, publishing scoops. I actually have an article coming out with Grey Zone very, very soon. It could be later today, in fact, um, on uh, Ad, uh, sorry, Bellingcat's links to an organisation called Adam Smith International, which I was particularly happy with. And yeah, I was uh, <laughs> would uh, urge your readers to um, to check out if they can. But uh, thanks. It's been a pleasure, mate. Yeah, that's all good stuff. Everyone follow um, Kit on Twitter uh, and elsewhere. And again, thanks for being on Geopolitics and Empire for the first time. Mate, my absolute pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast interview. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list through which you can receive an update of every new podcast, as well as a long list of key news headlines once a week. We're being heavily censored. YouTube has deleted some of our videos, and we currently have one strike. Patreon has terminated our account. Facebook has restricted our page, and Reddit has been the leading posts. Our favorite social media channels are Telegram and Twitter. The best places to watch the podcast beyond YouTube are on Odyssey, BitChute, and Brighteon. The best places to listen to the podcast are on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Google, or on any other podcast app. To help keep this podcast alive, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else, subscribe to all our platforms, and leave a donation if possible via Subscribestar, PayPal, Bitcoin, or Ethereum. You can also find us on MeWe, Minds, Gab, Float, VK, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.